Hey guys, welcome to VS Energy's Commissioning Podcast. I'm your host, Clayton Ferry, and here with us today is Mark Sankey and Nick Taliska. In today's podcast, we will be discussing virtual commissioning. So a good starting point for everybody is let's define what virtual commissioning is. And to me, it is essentially commissioning, like we talked about in our last episodes, but somebody isn't necessarily on site. They're doing it over the you know, over the network, right? Utilizing the facilities graphics to go through and identify if everything's operating properly and if there are any issues. Would that be correct? I think that's a pretty good simplification of what it is. And to facilitate that, it requires an extensive amount of instrumentation, uh, good bandwidth, good control system, to be able to commission, in my mind, and we do it, we test the validity of the data coming from the control system. So we have our own set of tools, of reference devices, et cetera, that especially when we are commissioning building management systems, we use them as comparators or reference devices for temperature, relative humidity, airflow, all the physical parameters and to use only the BMS as the reference tool, I think breaks the link between what are known devices and what are unknown devices until they are actually physically committed, uh, commissioned. Right. So, you know, the way you're talking about doing it is someone's on site with calibrated sensors certified and calibrated sensors saying this is what the actual room humidity is or space temperature is. And this is what the building management system is saying. And you can compare that to identify if there's any differences, whereas doing it virtually, there's really no comparison between perception and reality. Correct. And at least on the mechanical systems. Now, once a building is commissioned and we go to either recommissioning or retro commissioning or Texas A&M coined the term and I think they even trademarked it and if so I give credit to them continuous commissioning where basically they use the power of analytics and skilled operators to be able to continuously monitor systems for verification and or identification of either problems or good performance and make corrective action from a remote location. Now, does virtual commissioning necessarily mean that there is nobody at the site? Or is this just another, you know, an augmentation of technology and how teams work together these days? Well, that's a good question. And I think it depends on whether you're looking at it from the owner's perspective meaning they're in-house people and we want them to oversee the system or manage the, the system virtually, be it from their house or whatever, or from the commercial perspective. And we see this often where we review proposals, we, we interview providers, and they talk about doing virtual commissioning and identifying and or making set point changes that will result in cost avoidance and being paid a fee based on either the annual 
cost avoidance or a percentage of the total utility bill. And sometimes those are big numbers. Uh, when we, we had one customer that had a total utility bill of about uh, $22 million annually, and the fee for virtual continuous commissioning was about a million and a half dollars a year. That's a big number, and typically when you see numbers like that, there needs to be measurable deliverables, and I don't think that there was a reasonable explanation as to how those deliverables would be quantified, and I guess, Nick, to your earlier point in the last podcast, it really blurs the lines between measurement and verification and commissioning. But if that customer is satisfied paying $1 million for the perceived or real value that they received, I don't necessarily see an issue with that. I mean, I do, I do agree with the points about, you know, when, when you think about virtual commissioning being the absolute exclusion of any physical people at a site during commissioning as, as we typically think of it. And, and, you know, I think it's usually framed as a, a, a one time, you know, during as part of the design and installation and testing and operations uh, that it does seem a little bit too out of the norm. Yeah. And I think going off of that too, Nick and, and Mark, it obviously we talked about the commissioning process is in a very involved process from kind of inception through completion and seems like doing it virtually you really have minimal involvement in the entirety of the project. I mean, even what do you do for your construction checklist? You just send them out and let the contractors fill that out and take what they say is good as gospel. It just seems like there's a lot of challenges. And then once you get to the the big day, if you want to call it that to commission, you don't, you have no idea really what you're getting into. Well, and that's correct. And we've seen packets where pictures are sent, there's requests for information, there's requests for explanations or details and those kinds of things. And I just really believe there is no substitute for eyes, ears, and boots on the ground during at least the initial commissioning or the original commissioning of a building. And even in the event where augmentation occurs using data from a building management system or other source, there's still no substitute for continuing to do physical inspection and really grinding into the absolute performance of equipment. How many times have you walked through a mechanical room and heard a strange noise, something that doesn't sound right? that happens pretty often. Oh, it's a loose belt. Oh, it's a broken belt. And there are just not mechanisms in many BMS systems to determine that. Sometimes they don't spend the dollars on CTs on every device and really just wired to the auxiliary contacts and the starter. So starters pulled in, fans running, but belts broken. So the, the drive connection between the motor and the fan wheel is broken. And obviously, I mean, it seems like people would be interested in virtual commissioning probably for cost savings, right? 
And I don't know what, what would be like the typical, could you throw a percentage at how much cheaper doing it virtually is compared to having boots on the ground? Honestly, I, I can't really look at that because I can't, I can't give you an uh, actual number on that. We've, I know from a competitive perspective, we've never lost a project based on cost to another commissioning firm that has provided proposals to perform virtual services. Nobody's ever said, oh, you're too much money and we can do it virtually for less money. Right. And I don't know if the, you know, the cost of commissioning necessarily is something that's always, I don't know, shopped around for, for lack of a better term to look at while commissioning typically, you know, the conventional commissioning will cost us this much, this much, this virtual commissioning will be this much. I think a lot of it, the allure may be when people, you know, an owner does have experience with maybe conventional commissioning, maybe it wasn't to their satisfaction. They understand a lot of the difficulties involved, lots of documentation going back and forth, disorganized to some level. And maybe that is the compelling message from anybody offering virtual commissioning is that, you know, we help with this technology available to us. It's not only just we have the forms and the procedures to use and to help your team, because I don't think they're, you know, anybody offering virtual commissioning may be suggesting that there's no place for a commissioning authority on the project. Maybe Mark, you have a different opinion on that, but. No, I, I, I think you're probably right. But I, I think you're probably right. That said, I also think the virtual commissioning proponents tend to minimize in their marketing and sales endeavors, they tend to minimize the necessity for engagement of a field team during the commissioning process. Now, I've knocked the virtual commissioning pretty hard today, but at the same time, it is a, it's a nebulous subject. We engage, if you want to call it that, in virtual commissioning every time we monitor or look at systems remotely, which we do almost every day. There are systems that we look at to, if they're critical environments, make sure the environments are stable in terms of relative humidity, temperature, pressurization, long-term and short-term, are there any trends which indicate there's degradation of some kind of performance going on? So I wouldn't necessarily consider that virtual commissioning, but I would certainly consider it an augmentation to having eyes and ears on the ground or use it as a tool to basically call in field personnel and say, we need to take a look at equipment X, Y, or Z because there appears to be an issue. And I think, Nick, you you have terrific experience in terms of data and analytics and using trends and those kinds of things. And I'm sure that you, you, you use those regularly. Well, and that's what kind of does appeal to me, or at least I see the merits of something you know, like a virtual commissioning is that I understand that the access to analytical tools can often be greater off-site or even you know outside of the mechanical room. So, 
you know, I've seen a lot, a lot of obviously very detailed and professional commissioning reports, but you know, a lot of the, there were, there were short-term measurements or logging, those types of, you, know, you typically have in a, in a functional performance test, but that is what appeals to me is the availability of data. Again, and I'm assuming that with virtual commissioning, there isn't going to be a, a need to add a lot of additional points that wouldn't necessarily be required in uh, regular testing and commissioning and operation of the system. But that idea of being able to see in a very in a granular level what's going on with the systems, I think is uh, there, there's a lot of benefits there. I mean, I, I kind of thought about this in terms of, you know, robotic surgery is, you know, pretty commonplace at this point with a, with a lot of procedures. And I'm sure there was that, you know, you know, people that have had surgery and the doctor was two rooms away or maybe on the next floor or something, but it doesn't mean there's nobody else there in the OR with them. Well, yeah. And I got two points to kind of expand on this is first one, like to what Mark said, we utilize it a lot, but I think the big difference is we have a full understanding of the uh, mechanical and electrical components in that facility. Like, you know, if I'm looking at the, the BMS in my home office and something's wrong, I can visualize the mechanical equipment, the where the controllers are, all the pathways to every sensor helps it. It helps you diagnose the system a little bit when you you know what physically is installed. Because you've been there at the site, Clayton. That's yeah. what you're, you're saying. Okay. Exactly. I think, you know, using using the technology when I when you've been on site and you know what you have in place and maybe where some shortfalls were on the installation and where some problems were already solved and what what is working, what historically has been working, what historically has had problems, makes it a lot easier using the virtually commissioning, you know, thought point. And then going off of that, interesting, just kind of came to mind. I can imagine the virtual commissioning may start becoming a little bit more pertinent if it's not already with what we have going on with coronavirus. I don't know if we want to talk about that at all, but that kind of just came to mind as people may may start to opt towards that to keep individuals offsite. It's an interesting thought. Interesting thought. I I imagine there will be uh, there will be probably a push that way. I'm not sure that again it will be successful. And I think I don't think that commissioning is typically a large group experience, so it would be relatively simple to social distance, wash your hands, do all those things during the commissioning process for the most part. Yeah, that's true. But you raise a good point here, if I may, uh, on this the idea of just and you guys touched upon it in the the BMS podcast, which I commend to anybody listening here to check out. But it was very interesting uh, to hear you guys talk about the advancements in building automation technologies, but more so the adoption or the willingness of you know the market participants to adopt them. And I'm talking about the the owners and the operators. And maybe you will see with more of these virtual cloud-based applications, off-site, remote, you know, maybe current 
operators of buildings maybe not so willing to jump on board, but as a new generation of facility managers comes in line, then you know they will exert their influence on what society looks like, and they may be quite comfortable with this. I, I think you're right. I th- one of the things that I, I have to really say is beneficial about true virtual commissioning where there is significant amounts of data is especially during the, the pre-functional testing and functional testing phases, many times it's easy to not put all the pieces in in my mind anyway, uh, I can't think of everything at once. So until you get a spreadsheet of data, it's not always possible to identify where there are correlated variables. We had a project we just finished and now I am doing, I guess, some virtual commissioning because I looked at data yesterday, downloaded the data, and there's actually, for whatever reason, a in a constant speed fan, there is a correlation between the outside air temperature and measured airflow on the discharge of the fan. Damper position is constant. Mixed, mixed box damper position is constant. Well, there's a problem. Somewhere there's a problem. I don't know what it is yet, but basically the room pressure is constant. The mixed box damper position is constant. The fan speed is constant, but airflow is varying plus or minus 20%. I can't figure it out yet, but now there is enough data that I can go further and start to really drill down and find out what's causing this or if it's a sensor anomaly. Well, and that's a great point, Mark, that, you know, you're going to need kind of both the, it's good to have some time to evaluate data and think about things. Because if you were directly at the site, when you're looking at this data, you know, I don't know if you would then start going out into the physical space and start looking at things, going back to your, your, your systems and your data and, and evaluating them. Or if there's ultimately there's going to be a time when you need to make a decision on, hey, there needs to be some interaction here required with the site. So I think they have their place, both, obviously. I mean, boots on the ground, number one, but uh, I don't discount the virtual commissioning. I think it's kind of an exciting, I don't know, change in the whole field. I agree. And especially as BMS systems get more powerful, the, the amount of stored data the amount of trended data has just gone up exponentially as computers get more powerful, storage gets more, becomes more available and economical. And the amount of data, BMS all by itself is a, is a platform for big data analytics. And I still, though, I'm of the mindset where you will need to have boots in the ground at some point. Once we, even on the, the small example problem that I just cited, sooner or later we'll get to the point where we have a couple of leads that will take us to the problem and those will have to be investigated on site. But 
there's no point in just walking around blindly saying, well, I think it might be this. And I think it might be this until you go through the data and narrow it down a little bit. Well, and there is no substitute for skipping the preceding steps and then going to, let's look at your data. I was brought into a project uh, last winter for a, a federal prison system and you know, the, the, the installing company just didn't do the commissioning report. They said they did commissioning, but they had all this data, a ton of data, thousands of files in everything from, you know, CSVs, text files, Excel, and there ended up being about 14 million rows of data we had. Three of it, three million of it pertained to even the systems we cared about because we pretty much got everything out of their system they gave to us. and. uh yeah, it wasn't a very popular position when, you know, I came back and said, yeah, a lot of it's not working and we can see it. The schedules aren't in place, set points, and somebody may have seen supplier temperature drifting up and down, but, you know, it's only within a two degree range. So nothing's changed there. VFDs modulate in the morning and then they don't. So it was, it was a big problem for them because the project had been closed out accepted and they were into year one by the time i got the data and we were looking at you know a lot of rework there so that's still in process but it was just a deadly result of just not having the preceding steps in place before you even try to to look at the data which i'm a big proponent of because when you talk about you know really looking at how things are actually operating you know it's the data and in kind of the longer term view, which is where I focus on, you know, the annual savings, that sort of stuff, seasonal patterns. That's when you really get to see, you know, what's this thing doing when nobody's looking? Well, and that's important, especially as in, in the commissioning world, it's all great while we're there, eyes on it. We run the test, everything's good, but is it really right? And is, the system as installed going to, I really like that. What does it do when nobody's looking? What does it do when nobody's looking? We had a project where we were, we were having literally a uh, anomaly that occurred every morning at 3 a.m. Not every morning, but it, the anomaly occurred a couple times a week at 3 a.m. Sometimes it was minor, sometimes it was major, sometimes it affected multiple controllers on the system, sometimes a single controller, sometimes a single point, but always 3 a.m. Couldn't figure it out. And finally got the installer involved. Uh, He couldn't figure it out either until finally went back and the system, the host, is in California, three hours behind, and every night at midnight, whenever Microsoft did an update to the server software, mm. there were there were downstream effects to the controllers. So we had to change that so that though if there if there was an update, it occurred during working hours when they had operations people on site, so that if there was a hiccup and Sometimes they were minimal. Sometimes they had a big impact that individuals could respond. Yeah, that's an interesting uh, case, kind of 
you know, well outside the boundary of what you'd normally consider with what's going on with the system at 3 a.m. Right. Hmm. Well, that kind of takes it past like commissioning per se. I guess you would, you know, go towards that system was you know, whatever you want to call it commissioned. And we had a baseline of everything operates quote unquote as it should. And that's a maybe a downstream issue that you, if you were virtual or on site, you probably would have never known about until you did have that data to look at. No. And, and fortunately there was enough trending and stored data to be able to do some forensic analysis and understand here's what was really happening. And I give the system installer, the, both their software and hardware uh, engineering team, a lot of credit on this because it, it surely was not evident to me as to what exactly was causing the problems. Well, and it probably makes you wonder too, in a case like that, where if what you're seeing is actually the real point that you think you're seeing, you know, which Correct. can also happen sometimes you think you're reading airflow on one system and it's actually a different system or a point that's not even fully mapped to where it should be. Which again, goes back to there's no way to really accomplish that or overcome that if you're just looking at things virtually. That's something that's a, a step before. Yeah, and we actually had a lot of, um, I think it was temp temperature and RH sensors that seemed to fluctuate or drift. And the only way to identify if it was truly the case or if it was a wiring issue, a controller issue or anything, we had to put data loggers in on site and compare what we knew was truly reality to what the controllers were saying. And that was the only way for us to identify that it was a controller issue and it wasn't actually the space temperature that was fluctuating so much. No substitute for hands-on. Yeah, that is true. But you know, we also live in an age where they're selling automobiles out of vending machines, essentially. This is true. Speaking of selling things out of vending machines, plant manager at a facility we we're working on told me he just bought a steak out of a vending machine. I had no idea such things were available. Neither did I. A cooked steak or a... No, a, a piece of meat to take home and cook. <laughs> That's a new one. I, You know what? I don't know. They're selling cars out of vending machines. What more do I have to say? And, they're, and, they, seem, and they seem to be doing pretty well at it. Yeah. Well, like it, it, I mean, it kind of comes to this point is they're the whole world's utilizing available technology to cut down costs. Why do you sell it out of a vending machine? Because then you don't have to pay for the markup from the dealer to sell it to the consumer. Well, and that's why the, the people aspect is so important and too here and in their willingness to embrace a technology or yeah. a different way of doing things. And, and maybe I'm at the point in my career or age that, you know, I have a little bit of that curmudgeon you know, thing going on where, well, you know, we used to do it like this, but I also feel young enough that I hear different <laughs> things and I say, you're still open to you change. I, I am. And I, I hope I kind of stay in this sweet spot here, you know, a little grounded and Hey, this is what I've seen and just be careful. But and again, I haven't seen it at all, but you know, then there's a lot of new things that are coming out, which I just think are really fascinating. I agree with you on all that, Nick. And, and now I'm older than you, and, and maybe I am a little bit of, more of a curmudgeon, but I love the data. I, I mean, 
I, every time I see, you know, systems that I can get all the data from, I can look at the data, I can do some an, analytics. It's just, I love it. But at the same time, I, I can't let go of my, basically my requirement that I have to go and look at it. I have to put my boots on the ground, especially when we get into legal support where they say, what really happened here? I can't tell you that. Well, can't you do it from Pittsburgh and the job is in Nebraska? Absolutely not. I have to go. If, if you if you want us involved, I have to go. We have to go. It, it just uh, it shows you more than the data will show and will tell you that the data is valid or it's not valid in pretty short order. But I agree with you. There, there, we are in a, in a world where you have to be able to use both the physical tools and the electronic data to be able to do an effective job. But I don't think either one, either physical commissioning or virtual commissioning alone is, is enough. If a commissioning agent or commissioning authority nowadays does not use data and doesn't use electronic devices, be they data loggers or be they the trends from the system, then there's something wrong. I mean, if I found a guy just walking around with a thermometer, RH sensor, airflow sensor, or even infrared thermometer alone, that's not enough to do an effective job commissioning and say, yes, the system is actually working or the systems or the building or whatever is actually working. Uh, again, I'll take your phrase when nobody's looking. We definitely utilize our available technology. I mean, you need to look at the, the control loops, right? You need the BMS system and the data to do that, to look at how it responds. You can't just stick a thermometer in your discharge air and look at, I mean, you, you, we definitely utilize the available technology, but I agree with you, Mark, boots on the ground is important. How do you know that your outside air damper actuator and linkages are actually closing the outside air damper fully? Or, you know, when you say 20% or 10% for your minimum outside air, that it's actually at 10%. I mean, some of that obviously balancing can cover, but there's a lot of issues we found in commissioning where you need to be on site to see that issue and to help remediate it quickly. Well, and I, I'd go one step further and say that you absolutely do need, and I'll just call it commissioning and not modify it by saying physical commissioning, but what we know of as commissioning, you definitely need that. I don't think you could have one or the other. And to what Mark was saying about, you know, I'll call, I don't know if this is your word, but the thrill of being able to look at the results of, you know, the, the feedback, the data from the system, and then show it to somebody, whether it's the CEO or the CFO or the director of facilities and say, yeah, do you see what I see? Yeah, it's working. It's very clear. I mean, you don't get there without the other steps before that. Right. And, you know, I have plenty of those cases where, you know, they're, they're caught behind in the schedule and it's like, well, here's the data. Can you tell us if it's working right? You know, and sometimes it is because, you know, the commissioning was done or maybe it's not an overly complicated project, but you get a combined heat and power plant that really hasn't gone through all the necessary interoperability type of tests. Then, yeah, you get thrown a lot of curves along the way, and that's when it becomes really expensive to fix those issues. Yes, it does. 
Yes, it does. It, it's interesting, though, too, Nick, and to go further, we work on many projects where we're not the commissioning agent, but have interactions with the commissioning agent, either because we were the designer or we're the owner's rep or some other reason. And I've been in projects where the commissioning agent has shown up with nothing but a clipboard. And they have no tools, they have no reference devices, they have no drawings, they have no nothing. And I mean, that to me, that kind of commissioning is the worst of everything, where all you're there for is to complete your checklist and leave. Yeah. Well, I mean, I've always, I, I couldn't imagine not going on a site without a Magna Helic and uh, what is it, a 2K ohm variable resistor? <laughs> yeah, potentiometer. Yeah. And- Sling psychrometer, at least. That's great, guys. You know, and and again, it's the generational thing, too. I, you know, I wonder how this will change, you know, in in future years with uh, people becoming different, you know, comfortable with different ways of doing things. But uh, in kind of preparing for that first episode we did, I was looking at the the Building Commissioning Association and they had a, a history of commissioning webpage. It was kind of interesting to go back and, you know, a lot of things I remember, the sources I was looking at back in, you know, late 90s, early 2000s, and then just to see kind of the advancements that have been made. And there's a lot of good, you know, I guess thought leadership out there on what commissioning looks like and and how it should be done. But I just thought that was interesting to get some perspective on it when we talk about the clipboard and the notes and the handwritten notes. And a lot of this is how it's always been done. And and systems becoming more complex and more critical, right? And and we touched on it before, energy costs are a a, a much larger consideration than they may have been a couple decades ago. And things don't last as as long as they do or did in in many regards, so. Overall, I think it's, there is a spectrum of commissioning that ranges from what we just said, 100% offsite virtual commissioning to the guy that has you know, no tools and shows up with a clipboard. And somewhere in the middle is, is what I think the optimal is, which is you have a commissioning entity that does have an understanding of how the data is, the origin of the data, the timeliness and frequency of the data and what it can be used for and integrate that with a very comprehensive functional test and pre-functional test process wherein the commissioning authority has access to or brings to the site high quality instrumentation that is suitable for the application and can bring all of those tools to bear, not just the clipboard, not just the physical tools and not just data, but the synergy that you get from all of those things within one entity where, yeah, then post the actual functional test, you can do some spot checks. You can do some analysis to say, is everything continuing to do what it was, what it did on during the commissioning, the physical commissioning process? And is everything doing what it is supposed to do when nobody's looking? Yeah. And like, I don't know how you would virtually do it, but you know, if I'm going to commission and we'll just 
be simple and do an air handler. And you go in, I want it, like I said, I want to see the outside air damper open and close all the way and be where at what percentage it's supposed to be at, depending on the command. And then, you know, if you trip the free stat, A, you want to see everything shut down and you want to see the outside or the hot water valve open fully, the chilled water valve close fully. I mean, there's a lot that I think you you potentially could never fully see virtually, depending on the system and the the quality of the system. Obviously, if you have position feedback on stuff, it helps. But but it doesn't necessarily help you if you let's let and this is a example that we actually were involved in litigation on. So go to the control system, go to the air handling unit, push the freeze stat, air handler shuts down, dampers close, and chill water valve and hot water valve go wide open. That's what it's supposed to do, right? Yes. Chill water valve so, close, right? So, well, it depends. Okay. If, it's a, if it's a glycol coil, you want that fully open so that there is flow through it. Okay, yep. So, but does that really test the freeze stat? The short answer is no, because the freeze stat has to function even when the control system is not operating. So if I put the handoff auto switch for the air handler in hand yeah. and trip the free stat again, and none of those actions happen, what does that mean? It means that somehow the free stat has been wired to the not control in, system. It's been wired to the control system instead of hardwired to the motor starter and to the power supplies for the actuators for the, the chill water valve, hot water valve, and dampers. So if somebody puts that air handler in hand, it will keep running as even when the free stat trips. That's a recipe for disaster, which we got to participate in uh, secondhand. Yeah, and to do obviously to do that, you need to be on site to Correct. go through that process, and it could be for anything put in hand, which like you right. covered. So yeah, that's a great point. Obviously, there's things that virtual commissioning can't do and they're extremely critical simple but critical aspects to have in a system that has to function properly agree completely and uh and i would say there's some aspects of you know virtual commissioning or remote commissioning that you know this is why we have seasonal testing too and sometimes the commissioning right. folks have to come back because you can't really simulate everything in a system so those are some places where you know, the virtual commissioning, it's, you know, I think this term started with, you know, machine design or so, you know, 20, 30 years ago. And this concept of making a, a digital twin of whatever plant you were, you were thinking about building. And the idea being that it helped that saved a lot of time and cost as opposed to commissioning once the plant was built and you started to operate it. But there is no substitute for obviously seeing how things operate as different variables come into play and not all of those you can check for during commissioning necessarily, but the critical ones like you guys are just talking about your life safety and your, your critical environment. I mean, so much of that can be obviously done physically in the presence of the equipment and the systems that cannot be replicated uh, remotely. 
I think I like remote commissioning better than virtual commissioning. But yeah, that's a good. Okay. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. Well, I think at this point we we have a pretty good we we covered what virtual commissioning is or remote commissioning. We covered a lot about where it has advantages and where it has downfalls. And I think for the listeners, from what I can tell, we we all pretty much stand at the same point where virtual commissioning, there's a lot of aspects of it that are extremely beneficial, especially with the technology available. But you really need to, at some point, be on site to go through some of those parts of commissioning that you just can't substitute virtually with. Do you guys agree with that? I do a hundred percent. I do. I, I do like the idea, the idea of an augmented team almost that, you know, you do have somebody that's looking at virtual or remote commissioning on an ongoing basis too. I think that's where a big benefit benefit comes from, but there is no substitute for setting things up right the first time. I agree. Perfect. I think we'll probably wrap this episode up here then, unless you guys have anything else to add. Like I said, we covered a lot about virtual commissioning. Hopefully the listeners have a good understanding of what it is and how it can be utilized and where it probably shouldn't be utilized. So with that being said, stay tuned for our next episode. We're going to be discussing more about writing the OPR. I know in our previous episode, we touched on that a bit but we'll dive a little bit deeper into that. So thanks a lot, guys. Thanks for tuning in, guys. For more information on VS Energy or Applied Facility Science, check out our webpages. VS Energy is www.vsenergy.us or Applied Facility Science, which is appliedfacilityscience.com. Thanks a lot, guys.